RadioInfluence.com. Jenny Beth Martin, the honorary chairman of Tea Party Patriots Action, hones in on hot button issues such as restoring election integrity, reigning in government spending, confronting wokeness and social justice on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. Long before there was MAGA, Make America Great Again, there was TPP, Tea Party Patriots. And boy, did leftist factions, the disingenuous mainstream media, well, let's just say anyone and everyone aligned against the best interests of we the people came out of the woodwork with fierce, relentless, often nasty pushback. Jenny Beth Martin was right smack in the middle of that struggle of epic proportions. Sadly, the war rages on and the stakes are even higher now. What are we the people up against and what can we do about it? Let's get into it. An original organizer of the Tea Party movement, she co-founded Tea Party Patriots, which under her leadership has grown to be the largest and most effective national umbrella group of the Tea Party movement. It reaches millions of Americans every week with much needed information about fiscal responsibility, free market principles, and constitutionally limited government. Boy, do we really need that. Time Magazine listed her in 2010 as one of the 100 most influential leaders in the world. And in 2012, she authored the book, Tea Party Patriots, The Second American Revolution. A frequent guest on major television, radio, print, and online news outlets, I welcome to the show the honorary chairman of Tea Party Patriots Action, Jenny Beth Martin. How are you, Jenny? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I am very happy to have you here, and you are the lead person for a lot of the group's projects, and we're going to get into all of that. But I'm going to start with what I know you really want to crow about, and that's that beatdown your <laughs> University of Georgia Bulldogs put on TCU in the college football playoff national championship game. So have at it, Jenny. <laughs> Go dogs, sick them. Um, it was really exciting. Um, back-to-back championships, which we've never done with UGA. So that was very, very exciting. And I think that um, TCU should be really proud of the fact that they made it all the way to the championship. I, I it, That was unexpected. I had some guests at my house over um, New Year's Eve, and one of the people really wanted Michigan to win, so I happened to see the, the game between TCU and Michigan, and they did a good job during that game. I hear you, and I know somebody else who has been on this show. He was a show on, this, on this show as a guest right actually the week before his Senate runoff. Herschel Walker was a guest here, and I'm sure he was just as happy or happier than you about that smackdown. Oh boy, that was rough. <laughs> oh boy. It, it, it was kind of rough. <laughs> right, yeah. All right. So, uh what 
do you currently have going on? What is the primary issue you're zeroing in on as well as other critical issues to we the people in America? Well, the thing we've worked on the most over the last two years um, has been election integrity and working to restore faith um, in the outcome of our elections. And we will continue working to secure elections over the next two years. It's something that we've built a great foundation on and we cannot let that foundation erode and slip away. At the same time, we want to make sure that now that the Republicans have the majority control of one chamber of Congress, we are using that that majority control to get as much as we possibly can. And I think what we can see out of Congress and where we will be focused when we look at legislation this year is um, the oversight that Congress can exert um, over the, the Biden administration and and Biden and, and his family, even in their expenses, but also understanding how we've gotten to a point where this woke indoctrination and, and social justice theory is just baked into our school system and into the military and in, into other aspects of our life and really understanding how, how these things are happening and what federal government policies are driving some of the things that we're seeing that we're upset about at the local level and how can we work to correct that. So I, I'm, I, I'm very interested in that kind of oversight as well as some of the more hot button issue oversight. And then the, the House has control of the purse and um, controls the purse strings. So I wanna make sure that we are working to get spending cut and that we are are driving a narrative to get our country back well driving a narrative for a balanced budget in our country i think it's critically important i think the out of control government spending we've seen over the last three years largely in response to covid but let's face it the federal government always wants to spend money that's driving inflation it's affecting every single household in this country right now real wages are going down because wages can't keep up with the price increases and we've got to rein in this government spending so working to to drive a narrative to get the country back to a balanced budget now do i think that's going to happen right now with schumer as the chairman, I mean, the, the majority leader in the Senate, and then you've got Biden, who is in the White House. I, I don't think that we're going to get the kind of cuts that we want, but there will be must-pass legislation this year when it comes to the debt ceiling and when it comes to the new fiscal year, which will begin on October 1st. The federal government's fiscal year begins on October 1st for 2024. And during those two critical times, we should be able to get some of what we want, even if it's not everything, and begin bringing the nation's attention back to these very important spending issues. Yes, indeed. Uh, you, you said a lot there, so we're going to unpack all four of those issues. And I'm going to start with the last one that you brought up, and that's the national debt. I don't even want to think about how much the debt our government has put us in, although I do know the figure. The number is beyond staggering. To me, this, Jenny, Beth, may be the area that most Americans are sleeping on more than any other. You know, we've annually allowed both parties to kick this national debt can down the road. Uh, so my question to you is, are we just numb beyond any point of even taking up this fight anymore? Because out of all the issues that 
it doesn't seem like the country ever zeroes in on. It's the national debt. And it was basically, wouldn't we say, because of the the, the rising debt and tax enough already that the Tea Party patriots started. Yeah, it, it, you are right. That's why why we started. And I think that sometimes other issues become so pressing that, that they take the attention, especially the media's attention. Um, and during the, the Trump presidency, that, that certainly was happening quite, quite a bit. But the fact is, the debt is very, very important. And now that we have interest rates rising, it means that the payment on the debt is is more expensive. Send the billions, people. <laughs> it, it is, and we have to address it. It's easy to think, oh, we can just kick this can down the road and our children will deal with it or the next generation, not even the next generation, but the next term of Congress can deal with it. It's, it's not my problem. I don't have to deal with it today. But the fact is true leadership means looking at problems that you you that are enormous and and finding a way to solve those problems. Are people paying attention to it? The answer is there are key people who are paying attention to it. Chip Roy, the congressman from Texas, brought a lot of attention to this, and this was part of what he and other members of the House Freedom Caucus were so focused on when they were voting against Kevin McCarthy for a speaker. Part of the changes that they are working to get and part of the deal that ultimately McCarthy cut with them is so that they can come back and address cutting cutting spending, capping spending, and working towards a balanced budget. Cut, cap, and balance, which we saw about 11 years ago. Um, I think we're going to hear a lot more about that over the next nine to 10 months. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear there are some people in position of legislative position that understands how important you can only kick it so far down the road, the debt, before you know you got to pay to the piper. But do you think Americans... That's my question. Do you think Americans really take this seriously? And, and, and or could it be this also that, you know, I'm one of the people that pay off my credit card. You know what I mean? Before I became a born again Christian, I was in debt and all that. So once that happened, I, you know, the borrower is slave to the lender. So I have cut that out. And I so I understand, you know, trying not to spend what you don't have. But so many Americans are in debt, right, from credit cards. Could it be possibly there's just a carryover that they just see debt as a way of life? And so if the government's in debt, I'm in debt, so be it. Yeah, I, that's that's very possible. But if you un, when we are able to explain to people that the out of control spending, the printing of money that we're seeing from from Congress, borrowing all this money and putting it into the economy, that's part of why we're having problems with inflation right now. So maybe you don't pay attention to the debt, but if you're worried about the inflation that's going on in your house, the cost of eggs, the cost of milk, the cost of butter, the cost of clothes, the cost of school supplies, all of this is going up. It's much, much more expensive today to buy those things than it was was two or three years ago. If you care about that, then we've got to address the root cause of it. And that's that is the government spending. Yes, indeed. And and why both sides? 
like you get a Republican in, you say, OK, let's try and get this under control. And it just always seems to spiral out of control. Is that just a reaction because of the way the system's set up and the Democrats have put in so many uh, social programs and things that drain government that you can't just get rid of all of them? You know, is there a reason why Republicans, conservative, once in office have also been complicit? Well, I, I, I think part of it is because the way that the way that the budgeting process is set up right now in Congress, and this is getting into the weeds just a little bit, but there's what is called discretionary spending and mm-hmm. mandatory spending. Mandatory spending includes Social Security and, Medi- and Medicare, and um, the things that are discretionary are, are things that um, more like some of the social welfare, other social welfare programs. Well, if we are going to address the problems overall, um, we've got to address the military spending, we've got to address social security, we have to address Medicare, we have to address all of the spending. We can't just say this spending is just completely off the table and it is sacrosanct and we can never do anything about it. And it's basically on autopilot without any sort of accountability for it. Right now, that's what we see. And it it takes leadership to take on these these battles and it takes the it takes a true statesman and i would say a, a very good politician to be able to take on the battles and to convince enough people that these are battles worth taking on it's and it's not easy it, and i understand that it's not easy but i i also learned growing up sometimes the best things in life are are not the easy things right. yeah And by the way, how much of the national debt is that word that most of us who are we the people can't stand? Pork. Oh, yeah, there's so much. There's just so much pork. There's so much spending that goes that goes on that that we really should be addressing. And we don't. they they don't get very serious about it most of the time in Congress. I do think that the House Freedom Caucus right now has a plan to work on how they can go about adjusting that spending. And the good news today is that the members in the House Republican Conference understand that they finally it finally got through their thick head that the vote against McCarthy was more about what is it that we are able to do with this majority and how can we leverage the majority and how can we fix the rules so that each individual member has more more power and control and how can we work on fixing some of the problems like the spending problems. I honestly think if they do that and they're leaders in it and they explain to the American people that this benefits all Americans, that that it, that will help them win more seats in two years from now. I hear you. Uh, I have a theory. Right now, people can't see it at the moment, but I really think eventually for conservatism, people like Lauren Boebert and, and Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs and everybody that blocked Kevin McCarthy's ability to become House Speaker through all those votes basically saved the country. I'm going to tell you why in my, and you could tell me what you think of what I'm about to say. And then I'd like to get, now that the dust is settling, how you think the house is going to operate. I was probably as upset as you that we didn't get more house seats on election night. 
But have you considered if we had blown them away in the House, he would have had the votes. McCarthy would have had the votes to get in and that stand would have never happened and we would have never gotten the concession we've we've gotten that's going to help you know keep this country or get us back on the right course because if they had gotten more house seats especially out of establishment house seats wouldn't they have been able to vote him in yeah they would have because the number of vote it wouldn't it more could have peeled away and he still would have had a majority right. Right. So, so you're absolutely right. If it had been a stronger win in November, it would have been easier for McCarthy to become speaker because instead of having 20 people who voted against mm -hmm. him, you may have needed to have 60 people to vote against to prove that you had enough to actually push back. Um, Where do we stand now? And what do you like? Uh, what did you think of? I kept watching it. And uh, I just said, don't cave, don't cave. Just come on, you got it, you got it going. And the big, the great thing that happened is, you know, as you know, we, we've had trouble getting anything on national TV, period. You know, like even trying to get God on national TV, I know that uh, DeMar Hamlin's, uh, you know, that what happened to him, the Buffalo Bill defensive back was a tragedy, seeing him have a cardiac arrest on the field. But all of a sudden now, everybody's praying, everybody's talking about prayer and people are talking about God and the ACLU isn't going to be able to do a darn thing about it. And all of a sudden, God is on the football field and back in the public eye. It seems to me the same thing happened here that this got covered and a lot of people through what we find wrong with Kevin McCarthy, a lot of people that didn't know said, wait, that the Republicans were doing this and they were blocking this and they were working with the Democrats and he, he was weak. Yeah, I think that it wound up bringing attention to some of the problems in Congress. I don't think that most, well, I, not even do I not think, I know for certain most Americans had no idea that an individual member of Congress could not bring amendments to the floor of the House of Representatives since 2016. That's before Trump even became president. Um, and I... I wonder even if some of the, the former members of Congress who were in favor of McCarthy and saying this should not have happened, if they understood just how dysfunctional Congress actually is, it's not at all like it was during the 90s or the early 2000s or even 2010, 11, and 12. So um, I think it's very important that these changes happened. I think some people... And the entire the entirety of the mainstream media, the narrative that we were hearing is that the people, a lot of people thought it was just about McCarthy the man. It really was not about McCarthy the man. The House Freedom Caucus put out this 55-page document of changes they wanted to see to the rules and changes for how Congress would function, and they explained why there were problems in the first place. They put that out in October, and that is what what the arguments were about it wasn't it, they were using the speaker they were using the speaker vote because it is um it was the place where they could get leverage 
to to get the changes made. That is what you have to do when you are in Congress. You have to figure out where are the points where we can gain leverage and get some of the changes made that we're trying to get made. And that's what they were able to do. And McCarthy, I hope, learned from this because that's the kind of negotiating that he's going to have to be able to do when he's negotiating with Schumer and with Biden. And because they did this, because the 20... The 21, because we had one person who continued to vote present, um, because they were willing to stand up and vote in this manner, it's going to make it easier for McCarthy to push back against Schumer and Biden, because he can say, if I do what you're asking, they're mm-hmm. going to come back and they're going to threaten to to remove me from the speakership, and you may wind up with someone who is even less willing to negotiate with than me. He, he has the backing now of his entire Congress to, I mean, his entire conference to stand up against it. And it may not be comfortable for him within his conference, but outwardly it winds up being a very powerful tool he can use in negotiating. I Yes. And wasn't it great for the first time, and I know from, and we'll get into the origin of the Tea Party Patriots, but wasn't it great to see us take a stand and not just roll over? Yeah. Because it, you're so used, and, I, and as the numbers kept going down, and as some people started, I'm saying, okay, let's hold out long enough to get what you want. Finally. Yeah, I, I I thought that it was so so great, and the fact that there were enough people to force more than one vote was amazing, and it made me really appreciate some of the people who are willing to stand up against leadership over the years and sort of pave the way. They were trailblazers, and maybe they didn't, they never were as successful um, as these twenty wound up being, but they they were willing to do this earlier. And they showed the 20 what would happen if you took a stand. And I think it helped the 20 be even more firm and more resolute. People like Louis Gohmert and Steve King and Michelle Bachman and Justin Amash um, and Tim Hules camp come to mind. While you were watching that, did you get Tea Party Patriot flashbacks? Because what what that organization, you know, what you guys went through was really rough. Yeah. Because this was unheard of back then. I'm well, watching it on TV and I'm like, boy, this is some courage here. Yeah, it it was great to see the courage that we were seeing. And and it was very, very methodical. A lot of people were going, well, what is the end point and who do they want as an alternative? And I, I think that what some people don't realize it, it, because I don't think it's really been re- been reported, is that these members of Congress were being told by their colleagues who were voting for McCarthy that they were going to peel away and vote against McCarthy. And then you'd have another vote, and you'd see that that wasn't true. And I can see that I know that was happening confidently because I actually was in touch with members who were voting for McCarthy who were telling me that there was going to be another le- level that would peel away. And it just never materialized. But um, these 20 were, I, they're just, they did what needed to be done. And they did it in a way where um, I, I think that they kept a lot of personality out of it and kept a lot of focus on their goal. I'm sure within the conference, there was a lot of personality going on. But outwardly, it seemed like that was not happening. Yes. Uh, please tell me how you, how the Tea Party Patriots, you were one of the co-founders. The other co-founder is? 
Well, of Tea Party Patriots, the co-founders were uh, Mark Meckler, Amy Kramer, and Rob Nepel. The rest of them are no longer with Tea Party Patriots. And we also had Rob Godet and Michael Patrick Leahy, who helped us get it going as well. Uh, Michael Patrick Leahy has like the Star News Network, the Tennessee Star, Star, the Georgia Star. I think he just launched a paper in Wisconsin. And um, Rob Godet... uh, started the Cajun Navy, and Amy Kramer and Mark Meckler are both still very involved in politics as well. Right. So how did how did that get off the ground, and and how how did it come about? Well, back in 2009, when after President Obama became president, there was yet another stimulus bill that was on top of TARP and the bank bailouts from 2008. Now, remember that John McCain paused his campaign back in mm-hmm. 2008 to go to Congress to vote the exact same way that his opponent, Obama, was voting on TARP. There was no difference in the two parties. And then Obama gets in and, uh, or in, in the two candidates with that vote. And then Obama gets in and he starts on stimulus. Rick Santelli on the floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, he's a commentator for CNBC, had a rant saying our founding fathers would be turning over in their graves and we needed to have a tea party just like our founding fathers. That went viral back before um Things went viral, you know, things go viral like every five minutes now. But back then, that it did not happen as much. And the next day, we got on a conference call organized by Michael Patrick Leahy. And a week later, we had 48 tea parties around the country with 35,000 people in attendance. On tax day of that year, which was six weeks later, we had over 850 tea parties with 1.2 million people in attendance around the country. Wow. And that it was a powerful movement. Now, uh, the late John McCain is not one of my favorite people, but uh, he did say one thing during his election that's going to lead into the next question. And uh, yeah, I'm doing a segue here. And because he would always say, I run a clean campaign. Well, it looks like the Democrats uh, haven't been really running clean campaigns, which leads us into something you are deeply involved in, and that's election integrity. Uh, combating election voter fraud is a major emphasis for us. Now, there are a lot of people that don't think it exists, but we know better, right? How bad is it? And what can be done about it? And are you surprised at this point that no judge, federal, state, (laughs) in the United States will touch this hot potato. And I've had a lot of guests on involved in this. And I know this thing is going to break sooner or later, but so far, crickets. Um, I I am a little surprised that no judge was willing to to look at the, the state laws that were being violated in 2020 and actually ensure that the laws were being followed. What's the point of passing laws and having them on the books if they're not going to be followed and there's no accountability when they're violated? Um, what I, I know for certain when we look at 2020 is that there were laws that were violated, especially state laws um, in Georgia and Arizona and, and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, their state constitution was violated. And then in Michigan and Nevada as well. Would I, I wound up um, helping turn the, af- turn the complaints in Georgia 
that people were making to the hotline about about the election problems in 2020, matching those complaints with volunteer attorneys to turn them into affidavits. Those affidavits were used as evidence in the suit that Trump brought in Georgia. So I, I was very familiar with what happened in Georgia. I've studied what happened in the other states and there, there are similar trends. So after 2020, I was like, okay, we can't allow this to continue. In Georgia, the problem is so severe because in 2018, Democrats did not believe the outcome of the election. In 2020, Republicans did not right. believe the outcome. We have to we have to deal with this. So I've basically dedicated the last two years of my life to learning what can we do as individual citizens? How are we empowered by state law? to provide checks and balances on the election system, and then then how can we go about making sure that we exercise those civic rights that are granted to us to provide those checks and balances. I gave over 120 um, speeches between November of 2021 and October 2020, and my team and I trained over 20,000 people on how to be poll watchers, how to start local election integrity task forces, and how to be involved and engaged. We had we saw that the RNC had 80,000 poll watchers in the 2022 election, and it did make a difference in in several states, including Georgia. In Arizona, we still had major problems. And one of the things that I realized as I, I looked at Arizona's problems, we've got to do a better job of the testing, the logic and accuracy testing that happens prior to election day. It needs to include testing every single printer. I used to program computers for the Home Depot and the Mead Corporation. And until I watched what happened in Arizona, I didn't even think, oh, we need to te test every single printer. Well, now I think we need to be doing that. Um, but there are things that, that state law empowers citizens to do, like being poll watchers, working the actual elections as an election official or um, a poll worker, holding your local election board accountable, whether it's a county commission or a board of elections or your election supervisor, whoever the people are at a local level who are deciding how your local election will be run, going to those meetings just like you would go to school board meetings, speaking up when there's a public comment period, reaching out to them and advocating for or against certain legislations or re resolutions they may be passing, and then researching the kind of contracts, what kind of what, how are they operating and running the, the business that, that winds up being the elections? All of that is very, very important. And I learned a lot of what we can do based on a, a framework that Cleta Mitchell, who works with the Conservative Partnership Institute, outlined. She has seven different steps. I added one step to it. And she and her team and Tea Party Patriots Action and I have been going around teaching people how to be involved and engaged. It, and there's a lot to do, but the fact is there's so much to do because we we as individual citizens are actually empowered to do a lot to hold, to keep the, the guardrails in place for elections. I'm gonna ask you to give one thing that Joe and Jane Citizen can do. That one thing that anybody that doesn't have a microphone, doesn't have a television, you know, just the normal person that just says, I can't do anything. One thing they can do to help in this regard. But before I ask you that, one of the major problems to me, but, you know, 
they don't want they didn't want Tea Party Patriot candidates any more than they want MAGA candidates now. And you have the uh, Republican establishment and the uh, Democrats. Do they really want to clean this up? Because uh, you have a little issue here about, you know, there things have been done a certain way. And the establishment, it seems like on both sides, kind of want to keep out the constitutional conservative Republicans from even getting on the ballot, much less winning? Um, I think that it's a tricky question that you just asked about whether Democrats and liberals want to have clean elections or not. No, I I was talking about the Republican establishment. Do they want clean elections? In other words, the Tea Party patriots and MAGA, do they really want us in this system? Well, I think the answer to that is whether they want us in the system or not, they need us in the system. Because if we aren't voting at the end of the day for the nominee, the nominee is going to lose. So whether um, whether they want us in the system or not, they know that they've got to pay attention to us because they do need us. They may be trying to crush us in some cases, but we we just have to keep going and keep standing and, and doing what is what is right. It's very important that we do that in a way that adds credibility to our efforts and doesn't harm our efforts. And we urge everyone who gets involved, we remind them, you've got to keep calm. You can't get angry. And anything that you do not only can negatively affect your own personal reputation, but it can affect the reputation of the entire movement. And it's important that you remember that. I hear you. One thing that people can do. One okay. thing that just your average person can do. I'm going to give. Cause. I'm going to give um, one thing, and then how to to find out about it. One thing is being a poll watcher. That is one thing that is available in almost every single state across the country. You go in and you watch the election, and if anything happens that is is not supposed to happen, then you go outside of the precinct and you you report it. But if you're listening to this, you may be going, well, how can I go about doing that? Or what if I wanna do more? What I urge everyone to do is go to our website and the website we give for the election integrity work is transparentelections.com, transparentelections.com. And if you go to that, you can sign up with us and we're going to be launching another series of another um Yeah, it's really a series of training webinars that we do to teach people the way they can be involved, how they can start a local election integrity task force, or how they can be involved with poll watching. Thank you very much. Jenny Beth, thank you for coming on. I have one question to ask you. uh, And on this question, you can go as long or short as you desire. And then I'll ask you uh, to tell the people how they can reach you. But I really appreciate you coming on. And the last question is this. Back when the Tea Party was starting, did you ever think back then or had it already started to take hold that wokeness and social justice would have infected and infested this country the way it has? And how bad is it and what can we do about it? Um, When the Tea Party movement first began, I I wasn't I didn't even know what um, social justice theory was. So I and I I majored in business and or I 
my degree is in business and I majored in computer in, in programming computers. So I don't have a poli sci degree. I didn't um, study Marxism as part of my, my college time. And maybe if I had, I would have inspected it and it wouldn't have seemed so far out of left field. Mm-hmm. It's, it is absolutely insidious what is going on right now when it comes to the, the wokeism and the, the social justice theory that it, it's not just being taught in our schools, it's being implemented. And the fact that the, the kind of lessons that our kids come home with, the kind of things that they are being taught, the way that they're being divided up and segregated within, within classrooms, the, the way that teachers and counselors, this happened to me in front of my teenage son, just so cavalierly saying, well, we're not going to teach Shakespeare because no one wants to hear what old dead white men think. Well, I was blown away that a counselor said that to me and, and, and did so so cavalierly when my son was in ninth grade in front of my my white son. So it and just, kept their job. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. Let's say that about a black. Well, nobody wants to hear what Paul Robeson or some black communists had to say back then. They'd be gone. Yeah, it it just it the double standard is is very very real. But I I just I wasn't thinking of it at at, at all when the movement started. I certainly think of it much more now, and I'm I'm very very concerned about the fact that it does not seem that our school systems are trying to teach and educate. There, it seems that their goal is to indoctrinate and to and to um, train kids on how to be um, activists rather than to teach them what they need to know so that they can go be functional adults in society. That, that it, it, it's mind boggling to me, but, I, but it exists and it's real. I've watched it. My children went through the public school system. I, I watched it firsthand and um, it, it's something that we must stand up against. And earlier in this, in this program, you said, well, we're not focusing quite so much on spending and, and the, the debt anymore. That That's correct, because when all of a sudden you see things that are happening that are literally harming your children, um, and we saw so much of that with COVID, or the fact that the whole entire country shut down and all of the, the consequences of that, that winds up becoming the focus rather than just the fact that we're spending, 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 and the debt is rising. But the two go hand in hand. The the stuff that's happening at the at the school level is often happening because of um, strings that are attached to money that they're getting from the federal government, and that's why we have to address all of it. You're so right. And a, a little quick lesson here in. Cultural Marxism 101, Antonio Gramsci, the uh, long dead Italian communist, and Saul Alinsky, the writer of Rules for Radicals, also long dead, put those two together and that's what you have. You're putting together community activism along with cultural Marxism, which is to try, since we wouldn't do it by revolution, Karl Marx's way, so we're going to do it by Gramsci's way to change the culture and the language. You put those together with Obama and, you know, running and all these people and the academia running with Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals, way to change America. 
And this is what we're facing. And, and we, we just have to put our foot down and fight this right here and right now because they are going for it. And you can see it, the media, the academia, Hollyweird, even the, the professional sports, uh, they're just they're just showing us who they are. And there's good and bad about that. They're showing us who they are. That's the good news. But the bad news is we we've got to we've got to push back and fight this with every ounce we have. Otherwise, they win and we're not going to let them win. Right, Jenny? That's right. We're not going to let them we're not going to let them win. But it, the fact is, no matter no matter what the issue of the day that we're we're fighting is, there's always always there are people who have power and they want to accumulate more and hold on to that power. And there are people who want to be free. And I think there's another set of people who want to be secure and and live in fear. So you've got these three mm-hmm. forces always fighting and it's part of human nature, but especially the power versus those who want to be free. And right now, this is how we fight that battle in our lifetime, but we have to fight it. It's worth fighting because liberty is worth passing on to the next generation and the kind of fights that we have to engage in, at least at this point, and I hope it always continues to be this way, are nothing at all like some of our forefathers had to engage in what is being asked of us, the kind of sacrifices that we have to make are are minimal compared to some that that they had to make in order to pass liberty to us. You've stated that well, and people, you must understand freedom. You got to you have to fight for it, because if you don't fight for it, look around the world. The reason they lost it, they didn't fight for it. Jenny Beth, please tell people how they can reach you and anything that you want to promote. So the best way to reach us is to go to TeaPartyPatriots.org. Again, that's TeaPartyPatriots.org. And every single week we have different calls to action. Usually those take anywhere from five to 10 minutes for people to be involved. We really work hard to take the emotion and the passion that people have for this country um, and turn it into meaningful action. And we give small bite-sized things that people can do and then longer term actions like starting a local election integrity task force. But we do our very best to to help you have the tools and resources so you can be involved and make a difference. Jenny, Beth, you're always welcome to come back on. You have dropped mega doses of knowledge here and we really appreciate it because you've had a long history and you've been a courageous woman and God bless you and your family. And thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it, everybody, the honorary chairman of the Tea Party Patriots Action, Jenny Beth Martin. I want to thank Jenny Beth Martin for providing clear vision in regard to issues we're confronted with in this new year and what we can, what we must do about them. Still a warrior. Keep up the good fight, Jenny Beth, and don't let them grind you down. This podcast is available for download at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you'll subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. For first-time listeners, make sure to check out the podcast archive located on the page. All previous episodes are there featuring guests including Diamond and Silk, Kevin Sorbo, Mike Lindell, Morgan Brittany, Ben Carson, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, Dick Morris, Herschel Walker, Monica Crowley, Brandon Tatum, Peter Navarro, and Alex Newman. 
that's a wrap for now, folks. Thanks for joining us. So until the next time, this is your host, Gary Benford, saying God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America.